So um, I've been thinking a lot about work, about jobs, about um, just jobs in general. I don't know why, but uh, I'm thinking about uh, my life through ministry. So I started off my senior year of, uh, summer between senior year of high school and uh, freshman year of college, I was a student intern at uh, uh, St. Paul United Methodist Church on the east side of El Paso, Texas. I started off as a student intern that summer, and basically the youth director was a teacher, and he was working as, uh, he had summer school. And so they needed somebody to come in and do a lot of the uh, office work, the stuff that the youth director really doesn't want to do. Uh, so I was hired to do that. So I did that uh, for a summer, and then I moved to Oklahoma City. I started working at Hillcrest Fuente de Vida, which was a Hispanic church on the south side of Oklahoma City. And I worked there uh, for about a year. I was a worship leader for the contemporary service, and I was the youth director. And that was a lot of fun. It was a, a, a multicultural church. So our services, our youth ministry, everything was in English and Spanish. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I started working at Chapel Hill, uh, Chapel Hill United Methodist, also in Oklahoma City. I started off as a worship leader for the youth group. I led worship at the contemporary service. Um, we started and failed miserably a contemporary service, a Sunday night contemporary service. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And by the time I left that church, I was one of the co-youth directors, and that was a ton of fun. Uh, I went to First United Methodist Church in Palatine after that. It was a church just outside of Chicago, Illinois. Jason's lived in Chicago. He knows where that is. Uh, so I worked there for three years. My job there was to launch a contemporary worship service, and so we hired a team, and that was a lot of fun. And then I moved to Baton Rouge, 2015. I moved to Baton Rouge, and I got the job initially as the Director of Contemporary and Emerging Worship, which meant I led our, our main campus, America Street Contemporary Service. And then now I'm the campus pastor of Mid-City Church. I say all this because I've had a lot of jobs in churches, but I'll tell you, um, none of them ever feel authentic, or not authentic, they never feel real. Like, it never feels like this is actually happening until the day that my boss gives me a set of keys and I walk into my office and I sit at a desk, right? I mean, I've had all these jobs and I know they're all real, but, and, and they're, right, I, I know it's official, but it's not until I sit at a desk that I'm like, okay, this is my new job now, right? Like, I'm in this for the long run. This is real. I'm curious, for some of you, what, what has it been in your life where uh, you, you thought, okay, this, this is actually real. This is actually happening. I'm going to ask Leah, what, what is... So for me, it was the time I bought my first house. And um, I was really young. It just seemed so far-fetched. And um, I'll never forget how it real it felt when we were closing on it. And I first got the keys. And that's when it really hit me. So having the keys makes it real, right? Like right. something physical in your hands. Yeah. There's you know, you have to pay now. There's a responsibility attached to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about Taylor? So for me, it's also a job situation, uh, but it's a little bit different. So when I start a job, I've had a couple of different church jobs. And when I started a job, it wasn't real to me until my name was somewhere. So whether that be on the website, on a door, on my desk, somewhere. My name had to be somewhere with my title for me to feel like I actually had the job. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's very fair. Anybody else? Anybody else want to chime in? Okay. Yeah, so I think, I mean, y'all are right, right? So I think uh, sometimes it's a name tag, right? I have a little bull in my office with every name tag I've ever worn in different churches, uh, just to remind me, right? But that name tag, right? It says your name, it says what you do, or a business card, right? 
um, the nameplate on your doors, right? I mean, all these things that happen, all of a sudden make these jobs, these experiences, these, these new adventures feel real, right? Uh, I, um, I want to invite you, if you're watching online, uh, what are some of those experiences that you have? What are some of those times that uh, you're about to venture into something new and it doesn't really feel real until something happens? I'm going to invite you to write that in the comments uh, of that experience of yours. See, the, the reality is um, all of us have this moment when this new job, this new adventure feels real. Now, I shared with you, for me, it was the desk, the keys, the nameplate. Maybe it's a paycheck. We all have these times when everything feels real for the first time. But, but here's what I find interesting. We don't need those things for it to be real, right? We don't need those things for it to be official, right? I mean, let, let's be honest. When does a new job become official? When you get the call and, offer, right, and the job is offered, right? I remember Leah helped us buy our house, and uh, when, when I got a call from Leah saying, hey, all the paperwork went through, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is real, right? Obviously, when we got the keys, it felt even more real, but the reality is that it had been real for a long time. It had been official for a long time. Any adventure we go on, there's always a, a, a thing that happens, a physical thing that happens that, that we realize uh, this is real now, but it's really been real for a long time. You know, I wonder how many of us do that with our own callings in our lives. And I'm not talking about ministry. I'm talking to where God calls us and leads us to. The, the callings, the passions that God puts in our hearts, right? Whether it be teaching or law or business or getting through high school or whatever it may be, whatever God has placed in our hearts, those callings are real, but we're waiting for something to believe it's real, Right? God places these callings and these passions in our hearts, but we're still saying, okay, God, I want to see this first, and I, I need that to happen, and uh, until I can have this physical thing in my hands, I'm not going to believe this calling. Am I the only one? Nope. Yeah. I find it so interesting that we need something physical to believe what is already official, what is already real, what is already happening. I want to venture to say that all of us in this room have been called by God into something. All of us have been called by God into something, but we're waiting for it to feel real, to, fee to feel official, to feel like we can say yes. We've all been there. And in particular today, I want to talk about this guy named David in the Bible. Have any of y'all heard of this guy named David? So we begin this story uh, in, in, the first, in the book of First Samuel. So there's two books of Samuel, First Samuel, Second Samuel. And this whole book, these whole two books are um, about the Israelites getting their first two kings. More than that, but it's really the first two kings, right? So it begins by telling us that Israel gets this king named Saul. And Saul is, starts off as this really good king, but he quickly loses favor with God. And, and then the story begins to unfold, and we find out, uh, I think it's chapter 16 or 17, uh, we find out that God has picked somebody else to be the new king of Israel. And it's this guy named David. And, and, and what happens in this story is um, 
there's this guy named Samuel, right? The person who the book is named after, he's a prophet. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, you're going to go to Bethlehem. You're going to find this guy named Jesse. And Jesse has a whole bunch of sons. We're going to anoint one of them as king. And so Samuel goes and he finds Jesse and he looks at his sons and and God hasn't chosen any of them. And and eventually uh, uh, Samuel says, okay, are there any other children out there? And Jesse's like, well, there's one more. He's out with the sheep right now. You don't, you don't really want him. And, and Samuel says, no, bring him, right? And as soon as David walks in, God says, that's him. That's who I have chosen. That's who I have called to be the next king of Israel. It's this beautiful, powerful moment. You would assume that as soon as that happens, he becomes a king, right? But if you've read this story, you know that that's not what happens. Saul is still the king. Saul is still in control. Saul is still in power and will be in power for quite a long time. Yet somehow, God has anointed David to be the next king. He has called David to be the next king. See, David has a calling has an anointing, has been blessed. He's been called by God into something new, into something bigger, into something better. But it's not official yet. At least not to David. How can he be the king if there's somebody else in the throne? How can he be the king if there's somebody else in charge of the military? How can he be the king if there's still so many obstacles? So after that, after uh, David is anointed king, we, we find out that there's this big battle that's about to happen, right? It's the Philistines and the Israelites. They were enemies. They did not like each other. I think of like LSU and Bama, right? Anytime they get together, it's going to be the best out of each team. And we're told that this, there's this valley in two mountains, and they're standing right at the, at the bottom of the mountain. They're facing one another, and this guy named Goliath comes out. Y'all heard this story of David and Goliath? Yeah. I hope so. So there's this guy named, I'm going to say it, just, I'm going to share it just in case you haven't. There's this guy named Goliath, right? He's supposed to be big and tall and strong. And, and he comes out from uh, the Philistines and he, he looks at the Israelites and says, I challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. He says, uh, send your biggest, your best warrior, and we're going to get into a fight, a one-on-one. If I win, you all surrender to us and you become our slaves. And if your champion wins, if your warrior wins, then we'll surrender and you can take all of us as slaves. Well, the Israelites, they all get scared. None of them want to go to war against this guy, right? I mean, he's not just is he big and tall and strong, but, but there's a lot at stake, right? If you say you're going to fight and you lose, you're responsible for everybody becoming a slave. Like, there is a lot weighing on your shoulders if you say yes to this, right? Nobody wants to go, not even King Saul. And here comes David. Here comes David, and, and he goes uh, up to his family, his brothers who were in the war, and he goes up to King Saul, and everybody says, like, no, you're, you're not going to go to war. You're not going to fight this guy. He's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to do this. At one point, Saul says, like, you, you, there's no way you can beat Goliath, right? Look at him. And I love David's response. If I remember correctly, he says, I've killed lions and bears. I can kill this guy. Like, what a cool shepherd, right? I mean, he can kill lions and bears. Like, who says that, right? <laughs> I, wanna, I just want to meet a random stranger. Like, hey, I kill lions and bears every day. Like, 
It's just such a weird thing to say, right? But it's true. He's killed these lions. He's killed bears. He's protected his sheep. And so going up against Goliath, it's not that big of a deal to him, right? And, and it's true. He goes up against Goliath. He takes a sling. He takes a, a stone. He, he shoots it at Goliath's forehead. Goliath dies on impact, and the Israelites win. Maybe now David will be king, right? <laughs> but no, not yet. He still has to wait some more. He does get promoted to be a military leader, but he's still not king. God placed a calling on David. God called David to leave behind his shepherding days and become a king, but he's not there yet. And what we begin to see throughout David's story is that little by little, he, he, he gets these moments where he loses faith in his calling. He, he gets to these moments when he's like, I don't know if, if I'm ever going to become a king. And we know that because there's times when he takes matters into his own hands. When he starts getting threatened by Saul, right? When his life starts getting threatened, he, he begins to run away from his calling. He begins to run away from uh, what God has called him to. When stuff gets tough, he runs away from his calling. He begins to doubt it. But here's what drives me crazy about this story. Here's what I just, I, I just can't fathom. I don't understand about David. God called and said, David, I have called you. I have chosen you from everybody else to be the king of Israel. We talked about it earlier, right? The job becomes official when somebody calls and offers you the job. God has called David and said, the job is yours, David. David, the job is yours. You're going to be the next king of Israel. Do you believe this or not? Will you jump into this or not? Are you all in or not? Over and over again, David goes through a journey where he begins to doubt his calling because he doesn't have something physical to make it official. He doesn't have something tangible to make his calling official. He begins to lose faith in that calling. He begins to walk away from that calling. I want to take a moment to read this scripture. I've asked my friend Bryson to read this. This comes from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David, along with cedar trees and carpenters and masons, who built David a house. David then perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Thank you. So there's something very fascinating that happens here. I've read through that so many times before, and I just thought it was a boring text. But it's actually really powerful in light of David, okay? So, so I want to give you some context with this story, right? Everything that we just shared about David, all of that is true, and more stuff has happened. So uh, he, he, he went from uh, being a shepherd, right, to defeating Goliath, to being a military leader, to destroying so many armies, to winning so many wars for Israel. And by that point, when Bryson started reading, by that point, Saul, the king that was taking his place, right? Saul is dead. All of Saul's military leaders are dead. The army is now David's to control. David is the official king of Israel. And he has been for a while because all those things have happened. And he still doesn't believe he's called to this. Did you catch it? It wasn't until, here's what happens in the scripture that Bryson read. It says that this other king from a, a, a different area sends carpenters and masons 
to build him a house. And it's not until that house is being built that he perceives that God has called him to be the king of Israel. Did you catch that? All these things have happened. All these exciting things have happened for David. God has been faithful to David and David's calling over and over again, but it's not until David has this physical house that he thinks, oh yeah, God really did mean this. It's not until he has this physical building that he says, oh yeah, God really did call me towards this. So much stuff happens that authenticates David's calling. So much stuff happens that affirms David's calling. And yet it's not until he has a physical house that he thinks to himself, maybe this God thing, this thing that God is calling me to is real. I wonder how many times God has placed a calling in our lives. I wonder how many times God has placed a calling in our lives, and I wonder through that calling how many times God has been faithful to that calling in our lives. How many times God has opened doors and led us and picked us up when we fell. I wonder how many times God has been faithful in his calling towards you, and how many times we have missed that faithfulness because we're waiting for a physical, tangible thing to happen. God, if you're calling me to do this, just make this happen but we miss everything else that's happened in our lives. We miss the people God has placed in our lives. We miss the promises that God has fulfilled in our lives, all because we're waiting for something tangible. David missed it. God was faithful through every war. God was faithful, faithful through every persecution. God was, was faithful through the entire journey, but he missed it because he was waiting for that tangible moment. He was waiting for that desk, those keys, that nameplate. Surely it's not official, God, until I have that moment. I wonder how many of us are waiting for that house to be built and we're missing God's faithfulness all around. Let that sink in for a moment. And we've been going through a sermon series called Plan B. And the, the gist of that sermon series is that uh, we've had our plans, right? Plan A. We've had our plans for our lives, the way we want to do things. And sometimes those plans just completely fall apart. And the question is, what do we do now? Other times, God simply just calls us away from plan A. I wanted to be a professional soccer player when I was little. I blame a knee injury, but there was many more reasons why I did not become a professional soccer player. I also wanted to be a lawyer at some point. I wanted to be in law and make a lot of money, right? Those are my plans. That's plan A. But God calls us out of plan A into plan B, into something bigger, something better, something beyond our wildest imagination. David's plan A was to be a shepherd. He was good at it. Remember, he killed lions and tigers for the sheep. He was a good shepherd. But God says, I don't care how good you are at that. I'm calling you to be a king, right? 
Plan B means that God calls us out of our plans sometimes, out of the way we have uh, planned our life, directed our life, and God says, I'm calling you into something bigger and something better. See, here's the thing. Plan A is okay. We'll enjoy life. But God is giving us an opportunity to say yes to plan B, and plan B is so much bigger and so much better than we can even begin to imagine. The places where God is calling us will lead us to places we can't even begin to imagine. Plan B, I promise you, is so much better than plan A every single time. And here's the thing. Whether that house gets built or not, whether you get the keys or not, or the nameplate or not, or the desk or not, that calling is there. That calling is yours. God has said to you, I am calling you out of plan A and into plan B. And whether you see it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you have a tangible proof or not, that calling is yours. It's there. God is calling all of us. My prayer is that we don't find ourselves waiting for that house to get built in order to accept that calling. My, play, my prayer is that we don't find ourselves waiting for tangible proof before we say yes to God because we're going to miss out on a lot of things. The reality is that we don't need these tangible proofs that God has called us. I want to prove that to you. I asked my friend Tiffany to read our second scripture tonight, and that one comes from 2 Samuel chapter 14, or 15, verses 13 through 18 and 24 through 26. A messenger came, came to David saying, the hearts of the Israelites have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him at Jerusalem, get up, let us flee or there will be no escape from him, from, for us from Absalom. Hurry or he will soon overtake us and bring disaster down upon us and attack the city with the edge of the sword. The king's officials said to the king, your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king decides. So the king left, followed by all his household, except ten concubines whom he left behind to look after the house. The king left, followed by all the people, and they stopped at the last house. All his officials passed by him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pethathites, and all the six hundred Gedites, who had followed him from Gath, passed on before the king." Abathar came up, and Zadok also, with all the Levites, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and the place where it stays. But if he says, I take no pleasure in you, here I am, let him do to me what seems good to him. Amen. Thank you. I told Tiffany it was a tough scripture. Thank you. That was great. Here's what I find fascinating about this text. Here's the promise, the good news I find in this text. David uh, is in a really tricky spot right now. His son has decided to rise up against him, to, to start a war against him and overthrow him from this calling that God has placed in his life, right? David is the king, but his son wants to take that away from him. And when David hears that his son is coming with an army to take over, David decides, I don't want a war right now. 
I mean, they're not ready, but they also don't want a war right now. He doesn't want to go to war with his son. And so he tells all his people, all his people in this kingdom, follow me, we're leaving. Did you catch what they all did? Did y'all catch it? What did they do? They followed. Yeah, they just dropped everything and went with him. And we're told he gets to the mountain and, and he turns back and he looks at his kingdom and, and he says, he, he tells his leaders, he says, take the Ark of the Covenant and take it back. The Ark of the Covenant, uh, it was a big box where the, the Ten Commandments were kept. And for the Israelites, this is where God lived. And David says, take this precious possession and take it back. If God wants me to see all that again, God will. And if God doesn't, then so be it. And then he turns around and he goes to his people. You see, I think what David realized in that moment was that he doesn't need those things in order to be a king. He doesn't need a palace. He doesn't need to have the Ark of the Covenant with him. He doesn't need to have all those things to be a king to the people. I can picture him standing on that mountain looking at this house that was built, at his palace, at all his possessions, at all his dreams, at everything that was there. And he leaves it all behind to go be a king to his people. In that moment, he realized, I don't need that stuff. I just need to trust God. I don't need that stuff. I just need to trust that God has called me to be who I am, the king of Israel. I want you to hear this. In order for us to live into plan B, in order for us to live fully into the calling God has placed in our lives, we have to stop this longing to have these, uh, these tangible proofs of our calling. I get it. We're all there. We've all done that. We, uh, we all want and long for these tangible proofs. But the more we search for that tangible proof, the more we miss the ways God has been faithful in our life. The more we're searching for that tangible proof, the easier it is to miss the ways that God is moving in our lives and speaking to us and nudging us. And, and when we pay attention to that stuff, we begin to see that God's calling is real, that God's calling is authentic, that we don't need any of this other stuff. And in doing so, we can begin to fully live into plan B, to fully live into the calling God has placed in our lives. For David, it didn't feel official until he had that house built. For me, it wasn't until I sat at that desk or we had those keys or the name, the name badge. I pray that we may let go of needing those things. I pray that we may let go of our need for those things and trust instead that God has called us and to begin looking for the ways God is moving all around. Nudging us, affirming our calling, leading us towards our calling, protecting us in our calling. I want to share one more quick story. When I went to seminary, I was really hesitant about going to seminary. I just did not want to say yes to going to seminary because going to seminary meant going to work at a church, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to work at a church. And so I remember when it was time to go to seminary, I looked at God and I said, okay, God, I'll make a deal with you. 
I'll go to a seminary if you make three things happen. I need a, a job, I need to find a place to live, and I need to have a way to pay for school. I said that, and seven days later, I, uh, I realized, well, I'll tell you this. I told God, if all three of those things happen, I'll go to seminary. If two of those happen, I'm not going to seminary. One, no, all three have to happen, right? Seven days later, I'm at Target, and I run into one of my friends. And I ask him, hey, what are you doing next fall? He says, I'm going to seminary. Where are you going, Josh? I'm going to Garrett. Me too. <laughs> I don't know why we didn't know uh, we were each going to Garrett. But he says, do you, do you need a roommate for any? Because I, I need a roommate. I need somebody to share my apartment with. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's one. Less than a week later, uh, I had applied for a job and I got offered the job. And not too long after that, I was offered a full ride to school. Here's what I missed out on, though. I missed out on the many times during my time at the church where I just knew without a doubt that God had called me to be a pastor because I was waiting for that tangible proof. I missed out on all the times when God protected me from me running away from my calling and doing some really dumb things because I thought if I just act dumb enough, God will uh, uh, take this calling away from me. I'm telling you, I didn't want this calling. God protected me through all of that, and I, I missed God's faithfulness in that. Beloved, I want to invite us, all of us, every single one of us, you watching online, I want to invite all of us to let go of our need for tangible proof. I, we'll find it. If we search hard enough and long enough, we'll find that tangible proof. But, but when we focus on that too much, we miss out God's faithfulness. May we begin to focus on God's faithfulness. May we begin to focus on the way God is being faithful throughout this journey. And I promise you that in doing so, we will see God moving in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. We will see our call affirmed in ways we can't even begin to imagine. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we, we give you thanks tonight. God, we know that you have placed a calling on all of us in this room. Everybody watching online, you have placed a calling in our lives. And I'm not just talking about ministry. I'm talking about a calling to be active participants in the kingdom of God. God, whether it's teach, being a teacher or being in the medical field or law or business or, or whatever it is you have called us towards, you have called us to be active participants in the kingdom of God. You have placed a calling in all of us. God, I pray tonight that as we continue to discern that calling, may we let go of our need for that tangible proof of our call. May we let go of that, that need for that tangible proof, God, and may we set our eyes on you. May we see how you are moving all around, how you are affirming our calling in so many different ways through, through people, through scripture, through experiences. God, may we see you in our everyday life, in our every breathing moment. May we see the ways you are affirming our call. 
And may we use that to say yes to you. God, tonight, my prayer is that our callings may be affirmed. May we feel you calling us clearly. And when we don't, when we don't have that tangible proof, may we see you moving in other ways. God, I give you thanks. I pray this in your most precious and most glorious name. And all God's people said, Amen.